I'm Joe Wolfond, and I'm joined remotely, as always, by my co-host, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? Uh, well, some NBA news of, yeah. of some import, I would say. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, whom a bunch of teams around the league had been waiting for to become a free agent in 2021. The Bucks anxiously awaiting his decision on whether to sign the Supermax extension that they put on the table for him a few weeks back. A few days before the signing deadline, he put one of his 19 new pens to paper, signing that five-year, $228 million Supermax deal. Does have a player option on the last year. He will have the option to become a free agent again in 2025 at age 30. But... Start those rumors, baby. <laughs> this is going to keep him under contract with the Bucks uh, through at least the 2024-25 season. And what a load off that's got to be for that organization, which was facing the prospect of just sweating through an agonizingly tense, uncertain season and now can breathe a little bit easier. Um, massive implications, obviously, for the Bucks, for the teams that were hoarding cap space for 2021 in uh free agent class but is suddenly looking rather barren and of course for Giannis himself so where do you want to start with all of this I know you have been critical of Giannis in the past his decision making you have disparaged him with an alliterative term uh where are you at with this cash what do you think okay well before we talk about the whole loyal loser thing (laughs) I'll say this uh first of all I mean, good for Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? Like at the end of the day, we've we've talked before on this show about how, you know, every player is different and assuming players all use the same criteria to make free agency decisions or whatever the case may be is uh, it's almost like dehumanizing in a way because it's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect that in any other subset of humanity, right? Like there's like 450 different humans in the NBA. They all have different wants and desires and whatever. So look, man, if he wants to stay in Milwaukee if that's what will make him happy if this situation is what will make him happy and he just secured 228 million dollars largest deal in NBA history I mean like you know in a sense like who am I to say this guy made a uh, you know a bad decision or it's the decision of a loser like he's clearly winning in life but you know in the grand scheme of things and you know I'll add as well like the guy was literally selling trinkets on the streets of Athens less than a decade ago. Him and his brother used to share literally the same, not like they used to share the same pair of shoes during games in Greece at one point. Like they would, one brother would check in and take the shoes and the brother subbing out would give him the shoes. Like that, that is the kind of situation that the Antetokounmpo family uh, was living in. Again, less than a decade ago. So the fact that you know, if he knew he wanted to stay in Milwaukee anyway, the fact that he no longer wanted to push aside $228 million, you know, to, to seven months down the road. Again, like I get all that. I'm not going to fault a guy for any of that. Now, if we're going to talk about this from the basketball side of things, which is, you know, a big part of our job, I'd say, then that's where the whole loyal loser thing comes into play for me. Where it's not that I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is a loser. Far from it. Because the two-time reigning MVP and has overcome a bunch of obstacles in his life, as I just mentioned. But I, I think there is a pattern here of loyalty to a fault with him and this franchise. And, um, you know, whether you want to talk about the fact that 
there were reports when they were when the Bucks were considering what to do with Mike Budenholzer after a second straight playoff flameout that you know uh, the reports were that Giannis was still in his favor, like still supports Bud, and I'm assuming was at least part of the decision to keep Bud around. And you just look at the Bucks last year in a little bit. You know, I hate to go back to the Brogdon thing again, but that that was a legitimate. You know, for most superstar free agents of Giannis's caliber. Even a move like that a year and a little bit ago, that would resonate. You know, they they um, let Brogdon or technically trade him, but essentially almost let him walk in, in what was essentially a cost-cutting move. It was very clear to see that. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want to uh, suffer the usual fate of a small market, quote-unquote small market franchise. Well, then don't operate like a small market franchise, you know? And, and that was one thing with the Brogdon thing. And then you get this year. And okay, it's not just their fault, but them and the Kings botched the Bogdan sign and trade, you know, when Bogdan was Giannis's preferred free agent target. And then, as you know, they um, they made, I don't remember which move it was. I think it was the Connaughton move. And some of their corresponding moves were made in a way that seemed like they actually don't have an expert, like a, a cap expert in the front office. You could just keep going down the list, you know, the Drew thing, okay? They, in the end, if if the Drew trade was the final piece of getting Giannis to resign, then obviously it was well worth it. But if you want to talk big picture, there's now a capped out team who has control of their own first rounder twice in the next seven years. Like there's not a lot of path to improvement. To me, there are a lot of ways that for most superstar free agents should have looked at the situation and said, yo, this $228 million is going to be on the table seven months from now from Milwaukee. I am at the level of superstar caliber player where even injury wouldn't take that off the table for me. There's no rush for me to do it. Let me play this season out, see how this season goes, see what this franchise's future outlook looks maybe seven months from now and what the landscape of the rest of the league looks like. And then I'll make my decision. And yeah, I'm still leaning Milwaukee. They can still give me that $228 million, but at least let me give me like give myself some options. And so the fact that he didn't even do that, uh, again, just goes back to why I said you know a month ago that if he makes the decision that he ended up making – and it doesn't go well for the Bucks, or the Bucks just continue to honestly operate the way they have for the most part, then I think Giannis will go down as a loyal loser. And um, that's where I am. Well, I, I don't need to say again that I take umbrage with the term. And for one thing, I just don't even necessarily think that it's a loyalty thing. I think that, you know, apart from whatever feelings of attachment or responsibility he may feel to the franchise that drafted him, by all accounts, he just seems really happy and comfortable in Milwaukee. His family is settled there. We know how important family is to him. And, you know, the other thing is that Giannis's MO has always been, like, he wants to take that responsibility on his own shoulders, right? He sees it as being his responsibility to get the team to a place where it can win a championship. It's not his responsibility necessarily to tell the front office which guys they should trade or who they should get throw the coach under the bus. Like that's just not how he's operated. And, you know, there's been a lot of reporting around how this off season went and what it looked like. And that Giannis did start to get a little bit more assertive as far as telling the front office what he wanted, what he needed. Obviously the number one guy on his list didn't wind up coming to Milwaukee for some reasons that aren't entirely clear, but it certainly seems like the leak came from Milwaukee's ship and they made a botchery of that situation. But look, this guy 
took this kind of moribund franchise and turned it into a regular season juggernaut. And for all the talk about the team's playoff failures and how they can't get over the hump, I mean, I just want to remind people of how close they actually were to making the finals two years ago, how close they were to going up 3 nothing in that series on the eventual champions. And I, I know it's like a woulda, coulda, shoulda, who cares? It didn't happen. I'm not saying they deserve to win or anything like that, but to say that they couldn't have, that they can't, to me is wrongheaded. And I think even from the perspective of, okay, what is the best basketball situation for Giannis? You know, is he making the best decision for his career, his legacy? If he, like, let's say he has Dirk's career arc, right? He just sticks it out in Milwaukee for his entire career, even if the front office doesn't always put the best team around him. And it coalesces one year and he wins that one championship. And the rest of the time, the Bucks are just a solid regular season team that loses in the first or second round. I mean, I don't know. Has like Were people saying that about Dirk? That he was a, like a loyal loser? That he, he should well, have Dirk, demanded Dirk got a lot of hate, man, until he won that ring. He got a lot of hate, but he didn't get a lot of hate for like being too loyal to the Mavericks organization. No, he, just, he got a lot of unfair and unjust hate for being like a playoff choker. and Yeah, but I also would say that for a lot of people, that title that he won in Dallas means a whole lot more 100%. than Kevin Durant's two championships in Golden State, for instance. So there's a bit of a contradiction in the way that this stuff gets talked about and analyzed because on the one hand, people will say Giannis is a sap for committing, you know, five more prime years to Milwaukee. But if he'd come out and said, you know, I want you to trade me to the Lakers, or he waited to become a free agent and then signed with Dallas so he could team up with Luca and Porzingis, a whole lot of people and possibly those same people would have been saying that he took the easy way out and he was going to a place where he didn't have to be the face of a franchise, where all of that responsibility didn't have to fall on his shoulders. And I think the fact that he's willing to accept like that he wants to be that guy, that he does feel that sense of responsibility, that he does feel like it's on him and not necessarily on, you know, his teammates or the front office to get this team over the hump says a lot about him. And I don't think that he should be labeled a loser for that. Well, here's the thing. When, when Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, I wrote a piece at the time that actually said to stop hating on Kevin Durant because he said the whole time that he was going to make a decision that would come down to basketball. And in the end, he made unquestionably the best basketball decision. So while I agree with you that there are people who will, you know, slag a guy for being too loyal, but then also slag a guy for taking the easy way out, you know, like that's not me. I think this, I think this decision could end up with him being labeled a loyal loser. And I, I would not have held it against him if he put himself in a better basketball position. I would have said, good for Giannis. The guy wants to win. And I'm not saying he doesn't want to win now. like He does. But, you know, maybe he's still at that point in his career where he just stubbornly. And look, all these guys are insanely, supremely confident, especially guys at Giannis's level. I'm sure he does think that he doesn't need much more, that he's got what, like, between what the Bucks have and just how good he is that they can win anyway. So like I, I don't necessarily fault him for thinking that, but again, I, I I think that'll change and can change quickly. To me, this is like if LeBron had re-signed with the Cavs in 2010. 
you know, and, and, and honestly, that that actually would have been more understandable because it's like the hometown thing, at least. Like, it would like imagine LeBron re-signing with Cleveland instead of, you know, going somewhere else. Now, he would have got lauded, I guess, for being loyal, but how long would that have lasted? Like, you know, those Cavs teams won, what, 66 games <laughs> the, the season before he left? Yeah, Milwaukee technically is more talented. They've got, like, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and, you know, those Cavs teams did not. But, yeah, to me, it's just, it's a great... <clears throat> generational like very very unique talent who at the very least could have waited it out and seen what his options were again and if there was an option a, a, a potential to put himself in a situation where he you know wasn't just competing for titles every year but was like the favorite to win every single year and the fact that he he didn't even give himself that option to me yeah, it does reek of a bit of like blind loyalty, loyalty to a fault, to a franchise that, okay, you know, I know everyone's saying, well, he, he's loyal to the franchise that like took a shot on him and, and developed him, whatever, man. They drafted him, cool, 15th overall. Like, I, I don't know how much the Bucks' development of Giannis has to do with where Giannis is. Like, I just think people give the Bucks too much credit in that light. And again, you know, I've been on this train for a while now where I – the notion that people like make excuses for quote unquote small market NBA franchises or, or in any pro sports league annoys me because people act like, and I've said this before, people act like these small market teams are like mom and pop shops trying to compete with like Walmart and, you know, like, no, man, they're all NBA teams. They're all owned by billionaires. Like, sorry that I don't feel bad that. You know, the Bucks owners didn't want to go into the luxury tax, didn't want to pay Malcolm Brogdon or whatever, maybe because they, I, I don't know, I guess the TV deal is not as lucrative as it would be in LA. Like whatever the case may be, they're still billionaires um, operating pro sports franchises. So like to me, that excuse never, even this whole thing that like, oh, this is great for small markets. Like, no, it doesn't matter for small market. Like Giannis making this decision is not in any way going to impact a future free agent who is, is in a small market and like whether uh, their desire to remain in that small market or not. It doesn't mean that next free agent's definitely going to leave a small market. I'm just saying this, this notion that like, this is like such a great day for small markets and it's like, it's a new day for small markets and free agents. It's like, no man, it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Like the next free agent, just like Giannis made his own mind based on his own uh, wants and desires, the next free agent's going to do the same thing. But yeah, anyway, it's just a very long-winded way of me saying that uh, I think Giannis has rewarded the Bucks with a lot of loyalty that maybe the franchise doesn't deserve. Yeah, but again, I just, I don't even think that necessarily loyalty is the word that I would use. Like maybe Giannis does feel some loyalty to the franchise. I honestly don't know. But I think for him, it's more just like he likes Milwaukee. He wasn't necessarily attracted by the idea of going to like a bigger, glitzier market. And he he is in a position where he can both contend for championships because the Bucks still are a championship contender. You know, whatever you want to say about their their viability as a playoff team, they still have a lot to prove without a doubt. They're still a championship contender and still unquestionably his team. And, you know, you mentioned like, the we've talked about this before and I, I agree. Like if I were advising him, I would say, look, this deal is going to be on the table for you next off season see how this season goes and make a decision from there. And if you still feel like you want to stick around, great. You can sign the exact same deal. If you're worried about getting hurt and that, you know, nuking your market value, let me tell you, 
you're still going to be able to get this exact same deal. I promise you, it will be on the table for you. You're that good. But if, if he really had it in his mind that like, this is where he wanted to be, he wanted to lock in long-term. He felt like the franchise had shown him enough this off season by at least pursuing Bogdan Bogdanovich, the guy that he really wanted. And then shelling out what they did for Drew Holiday. Uh, it sounds like in that meeting that he had with Mark Lazary before he went to Greece, Lazary committed to going into the luxury tax and doing whatever it took to put a championship team around Giannis. And they're going to have to. Uh, like if they if they want to re-sign Holiday, which I, I'm sure they do after what they gave up to get him, then they're going to have to go into the tax possibly for the next several years. So, it, you know, if after all that he decided like, I've seen enough, I want to stay here, then I do think there's something to be said for signing the deal now rather than going into the season under that cloud of uncertainty, getting questions about it all the time, like having to deal with the awkwardness with his teammates around, you know, whether he was going to sign or not. I mean, stuff like the the charade with the pens, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure that wouldn't have been the last time something like that happened where his teammates were not so subtly hinting that they really wanted him to make up his mind and that the uncertainty was kind of like, creating a certain sense of unease or a fracture in the locker room like that can happen we've seen that happen before and i think the element of certainty that he's provided them by signing it now is going to make life a lot easier for everybody in the organization this season so i I understand why he would want to do it now rather than waiting Uh, again it's not necessarily the choice that i would have made but like I wish him all the success in the world. We'll we'll see what happens with this Bucks team, and and we can kind of get into that, I guess, from here. Because I, I just wanted to add that I think it would be I think it's really funny to consider that instead of the pens, like they they got on those pens, thinking it'd be like this funny thing, like convince them to sign. It'd be really funny if it convinced them to sign, but in like an ass backwards way where it made him so uncomfortable. He was like, "Wow, I don't want to deal with this stuff all year. I'm just gonna sign." Yeah, which is possible. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, I don't think anything T- to me, like, it seems like Giannis is the kind of guy who's making his own decisions and right. isn't clearly because as, as you noted, I, I'm quite confident the, he would have been advised that he did not need to do this. Yeah. So let's talk about what this means for the Bucks. Um, obviously, first and foremost, it's just a tremendous relief and they can kind of uh, go into this season with clear minds and hearts and enjoy something resembling like an ordinary campaign uh, instead of this pressure cooker where every loss, every like cryptic soundbite, every instance or hint of tension on the court or off would have been picked apart, would have been talk show fodder, would have been splashed across the front page of ESPN. Like I, I think now, like I, the pressure is not off. Like this team to me still has a lot to prove. But there's definitely just like a cloud, I think, that's been lifted. So, you know, they they can now just turn their sole focus to the task of trying to rectify those last two postseason losses. So look at the Bucks offseason holistically, right? If Giannis had not signed and then left after this season and then Holiday had followed him out the door, this would have been a franchise ruining offseason for the Bucks to, to have botched that Bogdanovich sign and trade to have given up the draft capital that they gave up for holiday 
and then to have lost their franchise player and the guy they traded all those draft picks for, that would have set them back a decade, maybe more. Like it's really hard to overstate how in a, in a non glamour market too, like one that's not going to recover with like a free agent signing. It would have been like one of the most disastrous off seasons for any team ever. I I, I think it's really hard to overstate like the extent to which this salvaged their off season. And I think also like it, it does cast that holiday trade in a more favorable light, uh, especially if that was the move that convinced Giannis to lock in, but also the, the picks that they gave up in that deal are now a lot more likely to fall in like the late twenties and not be particularly valuable picks. And same with the pick swaps, which might not even come into effect at all now. I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts about what this means for the Bucks moving forward, what they're going to look like this season, whether well, any of this like changes their championship outlook? No, not really. I mean, I, they, they kind of botched their off season and in the end, it doesn't matter. And that's going to be the, I think the story of the Bucks while Giannis is there is that even, even if they do wrong, you know, the great equalizer is having Giannis and Tenacumpo. Like they, they have now locked themselves into at worst fringe contention for the next half decade, you know, unless Giannis forces his way out. The players of that caliber remain the undisputed basis foundation of contention in the NBA and the Bucks have one locked up now for the next five years plus a player option, right? Because um, this year and then the four years and then the player option. So, you know, five or six more years of basically being able to pencil Milwaukee in as a contender going into the season. That's what this move means. And, uh, I think it'll just be really interesting to see, you know, the regular season still matters for them because they got to incorporate Drew in the mix and see how that works. But, you know, for the most part, I think with this team, a lot of people are just going to want to fast forward to the playoffs, right? And see, is anything different? And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they do say flame, like say they finish with like the best record again, what like best record in the East again and lose in like the second round. And it's the same kind of issues you know, between Bud and some of the, like the roster construction issues. Like at that point, it'll be interesting to see what next offseason looks like because, you know, you don't have the cloud of Giannis hanging over your head. I guess they'll just try to resign Drew. But like, yeah, I, I wonder what the shelf life is on this team. We know what the shelf life is now on Giannis's tenure there. But on this team in general, on this core, I wonder if this is still somewhat of a last chance season in a way, you know, because – um, you know, is Bud, does Bud have one year left to prove that he can change his ways? You know, Drew, as, as you mentioned, is is a pending free agent. And I don't think it's a guarantee that he'll resign. I, I would imagine that he resigns. But again, if it's like a playoff flame out, if, if things just kind of go south, I don't think anyone would be surprised if he walks, right? And, and Well, um, they, they are, they're going to have a chance to extend him mid-season. Right. And I mean, they could extend him now, but because of, because of the trade, there are limits on the type of extension that they can give him. But come, uh, I think February 26th is the date that they can essentially just extend him for whatever amount uh, for another four years. So, And I would uh, imagine that they're confident that they will, given, again, the I, capital, I would they, think so. I would the think capital so. that they gave up for him and the fact Giannis is now re-signed. But again, you just, you never know, right? Until like, if things go south for whatever reason, if he doesn't you know, maybe fit the way people assumed he would, then it's not crazy to think that he lets it go to free agency and, and test the market and 
potentially walk. So yeah, I'm, you know, with the Giannis cloud obviously gone and, and Bucks fans understandably and deservedly rejoicing, I still think there will be, you know, questions to be asked of this team. And I still think it will be fascinating to see, uh, like I said, the shelf life on this specific core because, okay, you've got, you know, the foundation in place with Giannis that makes you a contender, but there are still some questions, you know, uh, and some big questions as well with the roster construction. And, and again, you know, we're going to keep coming back to Mike Budenholzer until until proven otherwise. I do think that this is a last chance season for him in Milwaukee. Like, I think he would get hired somewhere else. Like, I, don't, I definitely don't think that he's not going to work in the NBA again. He's proven himself to be one of the best regular season coaches in the league, a great culture setter, and somebody who very clearly can establish a system and organizing principles that can lead a team to regular season success through repeatability and good habits and role definition and generally just like solid team play. I think that is something that he has proven to be as capable of as any coach in the league. As far as, you know, proactively diagnosing problems, making in-game adjustments, that's something he very much still needs to prove. And I think probably the biggest concern with this roster as it's currently constructed is that even if Bud was approaching this season with this kind of new idea of how we wanted to coach a new sense of flexibility, a willingness to adapt. The roster doesn't provide a ton of leeway to do that because outside of the starting five, it's not even a question of like, Oh, like the bucks are going to be bad when their starters aren't on the floor. It's like how many guys off of the bench would you feel comfortable moving into, you know, a closing lineup if the Bucks wanted to throw like a different look at teams and change up their style and be like, you know, we're going to try and play a little bit smaller with Giannis at the five. Okay. Well, like who are you slotting into that lineup then? Is it DJ Augustine? Is it Bryn Forbes? Is it Tory Craig? Like it, the roster itself doesn't provide a lot of flexibility even for Bud to play with if he wanted to. And this is the thing I guess that, that bugged me more than anything. It's like the Bogdanovich thing, when it fell apart, obviously it was a bad look optically and it cost them a chance to put out, you know, maybe the best starting five in the league, but it did offer them a chance to use, you know, the flexibility without being hard capped to create a deeper team. Like they were going to be super, super shallow. If Bogdanovich had come aboard, they would have been hard capped with like, million to fill out seven more roster spots, which would have been very tough. Suddenly they had the flexibility to do something different. And all they did was sign a bunch of one-way players, guys who it's going to be really tough for them to put on the floor in crunch time of a playoff game. Uh, Torrey Craig, because like he's just an offensive zero who defenses are going to ignore. It's going to be really hard to play him alongside Giannis, I think for that reason. And then Portis, Augustine, Forbes, guys who can stretch the floor for them, but who are going to be very exploitable defensively. It's just, um, it's a bit tough. So I do think like the pressure is very much still there. And to your point about like the core of this team, it's not a young core, right? So even though they now have Giannis through 2025, that doesn't necessarily mean that their championship window is going to be open for that long because, you know, holidays 30, Middleton's 29, Brooke Lopez is 32 and 
aside from DiVincenzo, whose ceiling to me still caps out as like high-end role player. Yeah, he's a solid yet unspectacular prospect, if you yeah. want to call him that. I like DiVincenzo so as a player. Like he's, he's a really scrappy defender. He's a good rebounder. Like he, he shoots the ball okay. He's not moving the needle in like a star trade, for example. Right. And the, and the thing is, that's the extent of their young talent in the pipeline right now. And it's going to be hard for them to replenish that young talent, given all the draft picks that are now out the door. That's going to make it difficult for them to construct any kind of trade. Like this kind of is the team that they're moving forward with and hoping to win with while Giannis is still there. And it's just like, if, assuming that they do extend Holiday, uh, and the reports are they're expecting to have to pay him $30 million a year. Middleton is under contract with a player option in uh, 2023-2024 for $40 million, which I assume he'll pick up. So if they extend Holiday in that season, that 2023-24 season, which would be the second last of Giannis's new contract, those three guys are basically going to be taking up the entirety of the cap. Brooke Lopez will be off the books at that point, but they're not going to have a lot of wiggle room. So improving the roster around Giannis over the life of his next contract is going to be really difficult. They're basically relying on internal development. And I do think Giannis is good enough to still make it work and still get them over the hump. But it's uh, the pressure has been released for now, but it could ramp up again very, very quickly. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying, that the, like the cloud, the free agency cloud is gone, but there are still major questions to be asked to this team and of this franchise. And, um, you know, we've seen, not not that I'm saying Bucks fans should now start worrying about like trade demands or anything like that. I, clearly, that is a long way away. Like the, Giannis just committed a half decade more to the franchise, but we've seen how fast the NBA moves. Right. And um, especially when it comes to like superstar demands. So, you know, anyone who's assuming that this means that Giannis is really, really like for sure in it for the long haul and it kind of doesn't matter. I'd say those people should maybe just like take a deep breath and, and take a step back because again, this league runs on the whims of superstars and those whims change um, from year to year. You know, you can look at Paul George and OKC, like everyone was lauding what a win that was for small markets when, you know, the Thunder, after having traded for Paul George on an expiring deal, get him to commit to a max deal, uh, a new max contract after that one year. And he's on stage with Russell Westbrook uh, at that summer party and he's talking about how he's going to stay in OKC. And then a year later is, uh, you know, forcing his way to the Clippers to join Kawhi Leonard. So I'm not saying that's going to happen with Giannis, but I'm just reminding people that thing things move quickly in this league. And especially when we're talking about a superstar in a situation where, you know, maybe at some point he will almost want to say come to his senses and see that perhaps there is a, a better, more competitive situation elsewhere. Yeah. And look, we, we talked about this on a previous episode. Giannis is 26 right now and still has you know, so much of his career in front of him and is still going to have so many opportunities to win on his own terms. But if he turns around three years from now and he's 29 and he's not getting any closer, then his thinking might have to change. I, I don't necessarily know that he'll demand a trade. That just, to me, doesn't seem like it's in his nature. But time can change people and 
you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So I agree. I don't think that he's necessarily going to be there for the life of his contract. But, you know, if you want to take it back to the Paul George thing, I would say even if Giannis does ask out before his extension runs its course, the Bucks are going to be able to get a whole lot in return for him. And that's going to help them kickstart a rebuild from that point, you know, in the same way that George asking out helped the Thunder kickstart their rebuild with the deepest war chest of draft assets in the league. So them locking him in for another five years is like an unmitigated win for the organization. And uh, for now, I think that's all there is to it. But let's quickly tie this up with a look at 2021, which after all this kind of hullabaloo about what a stacked free agent class it was going to be. An all-timer. <laughs> we're down to, I mean, Kawhi, obviously, but I, I think the overwhelming expectation is that he will ultimately resign with the Clippers. Not saying it's a foregone conclusion by any means, but I think that is definitely the most likely outcome. So assuming that happens, I think Rudy Gobert now headlines this class. And Gobert is a great player who could help a ton of teams, but there's also a chance that he winds up extending with the Jazz. And after that, it's like, I mean, Holiday, whose free agency might honestly be tied to Giannis's, right? Like like Giannis resigning might also take Holiday out of the 2021 market. And after that, it's Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Victor Oladipo, Mike Conley, Spencer Dinwiddie, Andre Drummond. Like it gets bleak pretty fast. So these teams that have kind of been saving up uh, and hoarding cap space for 2021 are now going to have to pivot and figure out what they want to do with that space. And um, I think, you know, the team probably that telegraphed their intentions to go after Giannis the most clearly was the Raptors. It cost them Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka this offseason. Fortunately, it didn't cost them Fred Van Vliet uh, because, like, if another team had come over the top of their four-year $85 million offer and lavished him with a contract that would have complicated Toronto's path to max space next summer, that would have made the risk-reward calculus really difficult. And if they had lost him because they didn't want to compromise that space and then Giannis had signed this extension, that would have been utterly disastrous for them. But fortunately, they keep Van Vliet. Uh, they do lose those two centers, but I think we can both agree that if they felt they had even a, like a slim chance at getting Giannis, I think that is the price, unfortunately, that you have to pay to see that plan through. But they lost those guys. I mean, the Heat lost Jay Crowder because he wound up signing a three-year deal and they, like the Raptors, were not giving out more than one-year deals. They did sign Bam to his max extension, but it's possible they did that with the foreknowledge of the Giannis extension because those two guys share an agent. And Dallas is another team that was planning to uh, to carve out that max space to potentially make a run at Giannis, but that didn't really cost them a whole lot aside from like DeLon Wright. But as I mentioned in the piece I wrote, there's also like an opportunity cost, right? Like not only do those teams lose some of their own guys, but they didn't pursue free agents that could have made them better for this year. And I think given how good those three teams are, like, I do think, like, the Lakers are clear favorites this season, but it's not like a Warriors situation where making a marginal upgrade for, like, a fringe contender 
isn't necessarily worthwhile. I think all those three teams couldn't kind of talk themselves into having a shot at getting to the conference finals, getting to the finals, maybe like competing for a championship. So even taking a minor step back for all those teams is a big deal. And for them to have done it for what turned out to be a fruitless chase, uh, I think has to sting at least a little bit. Yeah. And in the example of the Raptors and Heat, it also benefits Milwaukee in the East, right? You know, when, when you're talking about competing at that level, the margins are so thin. And if, you know, a couple of the teams, you know, just below you maybe, or at your level, take even a minor step back, that's that's a pretty major win for you, right? In terms of postseason ambitions. I don't know how much those teams really gave up. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Is there like a free agent in mind that you think would have mad? Like, I don't know. Would the Raps have made a run at Gallo or something? Like, you know what I mean? With the- well, for example, like, I don't, like, I think there were a bunch of guys because of the state of the market this year that signed really team-friendly deals. I think Crowder is one of those guys. You know, three years at the mid-level, really good deal for Jay Crowder. I mean, DeAnthony Melton, I thought, signed a really team-friendly contract. Uh, Christian Wood signed a really team-friendly contract. Um, the Heat also lost Derek Jones Jr., right? Like, there, there are a few instances. I mean, there's not maybe, like, a game-changer out there, but there were definitely avenues for those teams to improve that they didn't pursue because they needed to maintain the 2021 flexibility. And if you want to take it back to last season, you mentioned Gallo. The Heat had a chance to acquire Gallo at the trade deadline, and they wound up backing out of that deal because they couldn't reach an extension agreement with Gallo because they didn't want to commit to extending him beyond 2021. So that's an example of a move that potentially could have helped them win the championship last year. I'm not saying that it would have, but he could have helped them in the finals and they wound up not pulling the trigger on that deal. So like, there's always an opportunity cost, I think to this stuff. And again, I think it was a worthwhile cost for those teams. If they believed that they had even like a 5% chance to sign a player of Giannis's caliber, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a cost and that it doesn't still sting. Yeah. I think it means that there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of players getting overpaid this coming summer because there is, you know, it's one thing this this past year was an underwhelming free agent class and an underwhelming crop of teams with legit cap space. Next year is going to be very different because it might be an underwhelming free agent class with like half the league having max cap space. And um, a lot of those teams are going to spend it somewhere. So yeah, you, you talk about uh, an off season where there were a lot of team-friendly deals. I think we're going to get the reverse of that in seven months. Yeah, it's very possible uh, because there are going to be a lot of teams around the league that do have a lot of space and need somewhere to spend it. And it's it's kind of an underwhelming crop at this point. I mean, pending what Oladipo looks like this season, whether Conley has a bounce back year, uh, what Lowry looks like in his age 34 season. And for the Raptors, like I've mentioned this before, but basically if they were, it, it, and they still could sign a max free agent, they could go after Gobert, for instance, but that would essentially mean moving on from Lowry because he has a $43 million cap hole that they need to renounce to open up the space. And doing that means renouncing his bird rights, which means that all they'll be able to offer him is the room exception for which the maximum offer is two years and $10 million. So if they were going to sign Giannis, that would have meant Lowry being out the door. If they're going to sign Gobert, that means Lowry being out the door. But 
if Gobert's off the table, then Lowry suddenly becomes probably like the best free agent in the class. So that it would probably behoove them at that point to just keep him around rather than chasing somebody else. And they also have, you know, this potential OG Ananobi extension, which could save them a lot of money in the long term if they sign it now. Because as we've said before, we think he was going to have a huge year and that's going to put him in line for something close to a max contract, I think, in restricted free agency. Well, okay, imagine OG has the season we both envision for him. Reaches free agency, Kawhi's off the board, Gobert's off the board. Could you not make an argument that OG at that point might be the most sought-after free agent? Well, if he was an unrestricted free agent, then yes. Right, but even, but even think... restricted with teams having the space that they have. So there's like double-digit teams that will have close to... Yeah, but you know how restricted free agency works. Like, if... If the Raptors are putting word out there that like any offer sheet you sign OG to, we're going to match, then what team is tying up max cap space to throw an offer sheet at him that is not ultimately going to hold up? That's just the sad reality of restricted free agency. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think in theory, yeah, he would be the most sought after, like the guy that other teams around the league would want to get. Right, the most. right. But I think, yeah, getting it done is another matter, but. Yeah, I think that like in terms of league wide interest and a willingness to spend, I think if Kawhi extends or resigns and and Gobert extends and OG has the season we envision for him, I think he would be he'd be the most attractive name on the market, perhaps. Which is, you know, a, a credit to OG, but also, you know, a pretty sobering reversal from the free agent class that was supposed to be Giannis, potentially LeBron, yeah, um Kawhi, Paul George. George, yeah. And at one point in time, like Bradley Beal and CJ right. McCollum too, right? right? Those guys signed extensions that took them out of the 2021 market as well. And it's it's different for Dallas, right? I don't think this is a big deal for Dallas as much as it would have been incredible for them if they'd gotten Giannis. Like that team would have just been Luca and Giannis like playing together for at least five years. I think they could have won a couple of championships. And that's off the table for them, which I can't say it's like, tough or like it hurts because it was an entirely speculative situation anyway as but, as matthew mcconaughey and kate hudson taught us and how to lose a guy in 10 days you can't lose what you never had Joe. <laughs> there you go um but it does kind of feel that way at least for toronto because like he Giannis had been so central to their plans i think in a way that he hadn't necessarily been for dallas and with dallas it's like they already have another mvp caliber player on the roster that's something the raptors don't have and i think with both the Raptors and the Heat, they were in these kind of bridge years. And that doesn't mean that they couldn't still contend or won't still contend, but they were trying to build a bridge where they could just continue to be competitive, but get themselves to 2021 with that flexibility intact, hopefully bring Giannis in and then really take off from there. And instead, you know, the Raptors are in this situation where they're relying essentially on an, uh, you know another leap from Siakam, a leap from OG, like their own guys essentially to continue to improve. Like that's their path to staying relevant, staying in like the finals mix. And with the Heat, you know they have Bam, they have Tyler Hero, who I think has become like one of the most overrated players in the league, but he still seems to have enough trade value and enough perceived upside that he could be a major trade chip for them if they wanted to move on Beal or Harden. 
but in both of their cases, it's like, you know, they're, these are the uh, teams led by Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry stars who are kind of entering the tail ends of their primes. There's a lot more urgency there for them than there would have been uh, for a team like Dallas. So I think failing to improve this offseason hurts those teams a lot more than it does the Mavs. And they now have to find ways to pivot. And I think it certainly seems like Miami is going to be active in trade talks if or when Beal does become available because it doesn't seem like the Wizards are really even listening right now. And who knows what Houston is trying to do, right? And and how long it takes for them to finally relent and be prepared to maybe lower their asking price for Harden. But I think either the Raptors or the Heat could make reasonably compelling offers for Harden, for Beal, if that's the direction they wanted to go. And, you know, if free agency is no longer looking like the appealing thing that it once did for those teams, then the trade market could be a pretty decent consolation. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about in the wake of the Giannis stuff is um, is the potential for some big name like star trades this season, obviously with Harden at the top of that list, because there are now a number of contenders or fringe contenders who feel they're, you know, maybe one piece away that um, that also now know a free agent savior is a lot less likely, if not impossible. So yeah, those teams should be, you know, aggressively pursuing the trade market now. And, um, and they, they should have a lot less reason for pause in pursuing, you know, the, the star trade market now that, um, they don't have that free agency cloud hanging over their head and, you know, how it'll affect their cap space and things like that. If both the Heat and Raptors decided they wanted to trade for Harden, which of those teams do you think can make the more compelling offer? The Raptors, because they can include, like, if they really wanted to, you put Siakam in there. And what are the Heat putting in there? What are they putting? Are the Heat trading Bam? I don't think so. But the, not. But I also don't, I don't think the Raps would trade Siakam in. I really don't. Not for, like... They should. They should be willing to, I think. It, it would it would leave their roster pretty imbalanced because they're already very light on forward depth and putting Siakam in that deal. Unless P.J. Tucker was coming back as part of the package, they would be, I think, maybe too light on front court depth to actually win. But I, I think, you know, with, with the Giannis dream dead and the possibility of maybe giving Lowry like one more legitimate crack at winning another title there, I think that's a move you probably have to make. I, I just think they would need to find a way to balance the roster a little bit yeah. and get some more front court depth. I, for me, I mean, like, you know, Siakam Harden is a no-brainer, but for me, it's more so the, the hesitation would be it's four years of Pascal versus two years of Harden, and it's four years of Pascal entering what, you know, we assume will be his prime for two years of Harden and a team that I don't necessarily feel like... Harden makes you better right away, obviously, yes. But like, do you think that team is a championship contender given what they'd have to give up to get them, you know? Let's say the the deal is Pascal, Norm Powell, Terrence Davis, and a couple of first-rounders for Harden and P.J. Tucker. Hmm. So you got Lowry, Harden, Van Vliet. You can start like all three of them, honestly. <laughs> Harden can like defend small forwards, I guess. Oh yeah, he Harden is way better defending yeah. up the position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than... So Lowry, Van Vliet, Harden, OG, and Baines or Tucker starts and Baines. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, you could talk me into that team being a legit contender. I think two years of Harden gives you more championship equity than four years of Siakam. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair statement. And so, yeah, I mean, if they if they wanted to push for it and and go for it all now, then I, I will say as well, like I'm I'm a big believer in like a guy like James Harden becomes available, you go get him. You know, you don't get too attached to your own homegrown guys. So I don't want to give off the vibe that like I'm you know hesitant because it's like well what can Siakam be again for me it was more so just like the four years versus two years not like we're talking about two versus one or even like three versus two the the difference between four years of Pascal and two of Harden is what is the only thing that would make me hesitant but other than that I'm a big believer in like it's James friggin Harden (laughs) yeah and if you go get him if you can if the Rockets at some point are willing to take the the heat package of like hero Duncan Robinson, like salary filler and draft picks, then the Heat also should like absolutely do that in a heartbeat. Um, but again, if, the, if that's actually a realistic option, then don't you think the Raptors can get Harden without Siakam by using OG? Um, like if Tyler Hero is going to be an, a, a good enough prospect to be like the best young talent in a deal for Harden, then can't OG like that? It strikes me as strange that. I, I don't know. Like we, we can only say how we feel about these players, and not necessarily how they're perceived by front offices around the league. So, yeah, I mean, like I would prefer a package centered around OG. I think, but but also like if you look at it from the Rockets' perspective, and they're rebuilding, and they want you know uh, something that gives them a shot at a foundational piece. I do think there's something to be said for okay. Tyler Hero can be like a lead ball handler, like somebody who runs your offense at a really high level if he hits his offensive ceiling. Whereas OG is one of the best role players in the league and moving forward figures to be, you know, a tremendous complementary piece. But I don't think that they would view him, and I don't even view him as high as I am on OG, as somebody who you build a franchise around. And I think maybe that's the difference between those two guys. Even though I think OG is definitely better right now, I think you know his floor is way higher. If I was picking who I think will ultimately have a better career, I would probably lean toward OG. But I think the ceiling is maybe a little bit higher on Hero just because of what he's actually capable of as an offensive initiator. In any case, we've gotten a little bit off topic here. Um, Giannis extends, stays in Milwaukee. Great news for Milwaukee. We're happy for Giannis kind of, and uh, we're feeling for the fans of the teams that thought they might have a chance to get him, and now we'll have to settle for Rudy Gobert or Otto Porter Jr. on the free agent market. Um, anything you want to add before I get to a fan shout-out for this week? No, just uh, getting ready for our season preview pod on Friday, I think. Yes, indeed. Fan shout-out for this week, David Blatt, listening in Toronto. His request for a shout-out... David Blatt! Yeah. Uh, yes, not not the same David Blatt, I don't think, <laughs> that once coached the Cavaliers to the finals. David Blatt listening in Toronto. His, his request for a shout-out comes with a question. Okay. He says, I've heard recent criticism of players' off-ball play. Who is on your all-NBA off-ball player team? Would love an answer and a shout-out on the pod. So I'll, I'll start us off here with Steph Curry. I think that He's got to be number one on any off-ball yeah. player team. Not only as one of, if not the best 
off-ball movers, but just one who carries so much gravity as an off-ball player, whether he is cutting, relocating, screening. For a player like that who is so talented with the ball in his hands to play as actively, as relentlessly, and as unselfishly away from the ball as he does, there's just so, so much value in that. And he is probably the player that brings me the most joy to watch when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, Okay, I'll go next. JJ Redick. Yeah, another great choice. Uh, Duncan Robinson. Nice. Another absolutely terrific off-ball player and one who, again, relentless is the word I would use. He just never, ever stops moving. And one thing I really like that he does is like when he's running dribble handoff, if he doesn't get the, the handoff like the first time, if the defender manages to blow it up, like he'll just zigzag back and forth until he finally gets it. And if like the shot that he tries to get off on that dribble handoff is semi-contested. He'll just drop the ball off to Bam and like reset it and go and get it again until he finds his way open. He's uh, he's an incredible off-ball mover. Can we go with Clay even though he's injured or does it have to be guys that are like playing this season? Doesn't have to be. I think you have to go with Clay. I mean, if we're not if we're not really considering positions, we're just going to go with the five best, then I'd go with Clay. I mean, you talk about the treat of watching Steph and obviously Steph is a completely different animal, but when the ball's in Steph's hands or, or Draymond's hands or whoever's hands, you know, that's not Clay's when he's catching and shooting. And uh, and you watch the way Clay moves around the court on the offensive end. It's a treat to watch in and of itself. Um, and obviously, you know, he spends more time off the ball than, than Steph does. So, yeah, I think, I think Clay has to be in there. Jimmy Butler. Nice. Underrated off-ball player. Honestly, maybe the best cutter yeah. in the entire league. Different kind of off-ball player than like the shooters we're talking about, but his cutting is yeah. Brilliant. His his off-ball movement has sort of like a different intended effect, right? He's he's not moving like away from the basket the way that some of these shooters are when they move without the ball. He's moving toward the basket. But as far as opportunistic cutting and also just sealing guys, like when he gets a switch. He is as good as any wing player in the league at just immediately sealing that smaller player, backing them under the basket and scoring that way. And I think the fact that he managed to have arguably his best season last year, despite the fact that his jump shot completely fell apart, was one of the most impressive things that happened in the league. And I guess that that's five, right? So that rounds out our all off-ball player team. The other one I was maybe going to mention is Anthony Davis, who is another sort of like a different brand of off-ball player, um, but one that still has so much gravity off of the ball as like a screener, a dive man, uh, somebody who runs the floor in transition. He just magnetizes defenders that way and uh, obviously has a ton of vertical gravity. He's another one who you maybe wouldn't think of, but is really effective as an off-ball guy. And I hope we've answered your questions satisfactorily, David. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. As Cash mentioned, we will be back on Friday with a full season. Hope you've patched things up with LeBron, David. <laughs> and uh, we're looking forward to uh, to laying out how we think this season is going to go. We're already deep into the preseason, and the season proper is going to start in a few days, which is just wild. So we'll get into all that in a couple days. We're looking forward to talking to you then. For now, for Joseph Cacharo, I'm Joe Wolfon, down the rock.